0: Jack's not here for me to pick on. To open prayer, who would like to open us in prayer this morning? Daniel, go for it, bro. Father God, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for this morning as we come and gather together in your name and worship you in a place that's dedicated to you. Lord God, we just want to dedicate ourselves, our hearts and minds to you this morning. Let everything that gets said here edify, and everything that gets done here glorify you, Father. I just ask that this be the best Sunday school class we've had yet. And in your son's name, I pray. Amen. So, um, you guys can inform me what we've been doing for the last few years. <laughs> But I thought we would open with the 121st Psalm. Psalm 121. Daniel looks up. I I pray opening, opening prayers now. I can't read it. Psalm 121. Whoever gets their second, read it out. Please. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord, who is made of me. You will not allow <laughs> You will not allow your foot to slip. <laughs> <Heart's> softer. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he who keeps you will not slumber, behold. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is our keeper. The Lord is our shade on your right hand, the sun not smite you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Amen. So those of you that were just in Israel, how do you see that song? I remember us looking for Mount Yes. Yeah, I thought many of you might have it here, but I did get a picture of it. You did. what it looked like. And I'll show you and see, and see. Good. Yeah, it was, it was cloudy. Yeah, and, it was yeah this it was This is obviously not Mount Hermon. Mount <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rainier. However, it is a very spectacular mountain. Uh, it uh, looks like... Mount Rainier. Rainier, yes. Rainier. Because we've got this ridge in front. But uh, um, I didn't put that up because I was... Thinking of Israel. I haven't gotten the Israel pictures moved over to this computer yet. So. <laughs> uh, this just happens to be one of one of the backgrounds I have. Um, but sure enough, everything seems either uphill or downhill in Israel. It's both. Right? <laughs> uh, I said that, and people didn't believe me until we got there. And the first day, we went out and uh, I had almost 23,000 steps the first day there. So we started at uh, 8 that morning, and we were in Hezekiah's Tunnel by 10, and down at the Pool of Siloam, uh, after traversing uh, Hezekiah's Tunnel, and then the long uphill uh, through the city of David, as it appears today, uh, only to walk through and find Hezekiah's Broadwall, which was part of an archaeological uh, discovery when they were um, getting ready to build after a building had been destroyed uh, during the, one of the wars that they had, and, uh, and that was all before lunch. Right? <laughs> and it was like that every day. A lot of, a lot of walking, a lot of uh, walking through the land, both in around Jerusalem, in Benjamin Plateau, and down through the. What they call the Shvela and we have some recordings, for example, for you guys, that will get played at some point, where we are singing in the caves of Marsha. There's a big bell cave there. The Pardon? Did they show that at church? Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah well, wow, so uh, those are some of the the areas where David would have hung out, King David. Uh, We went to Masada. We went to Getty, which is one of my favorite places where David would have hung out. That's the place where he snipped the corner of Saul's robe when Saul was uncovering his feet. It's a (coughs) light way of saying it. Uh, And and then, you know, we ended up seeing Qumran, where Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. Went up north into Galilee, as far as Golan Heights, where we couldn't see Mount Hermon because it was covered by clouds even though we were at the base of it. Uh, So we went from the area that's called Dan in the north, almost to 'er Beersheba. We didn't quite get that far south. Uh, Went from Ashkelon on the coast, all the way, uh, for some of us, into Amman, Jordan, up on the Meadow Plateau. So it was very very, uh, significant wanderings that we were a part of. And I was thinking, well, what would I like to bring back To share with you guys, because my prayer going over there for those that went was that their lives would be impacted um, in a way that maybe they didn't expect that would make the Bible more alive to them. Fossilized manna. Pardon? Fossilized manna. You couldn't have fossilized manna. Fossilized manna. Uh, And having been over there uh, a couple times prior, You know, what for me was very impacting was that I was no longer struggling with where things are and kind of the lay of the land, and it gave me more of an opportunity to reflect um, on some of the um, more, I don't know how you'd say it, uh, more spiritual connection in the land rather than just physical connection in the Bible. And that's, that's why I wanted to start with Psalm 121. So one of the, the key Hebrew words in Psalm 121 is the word uh, in Hebrew, it's pronounced uh, Shmar. And uh, it has to do with keeping or guarding or protecting. And it's an attribute of God, and we see that um, in our reliance upon God. So the, the question is, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. And when people in that country, this is one of the songs of ascent, so as they were on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and those that went can attest it's uphill, going to Jerusalem. Um, and once you're there, it's continuing uphill. Uh, this is one of the songs that they would have sung. As they were looking about the land, reflecting on the history of the people in the land, they would have looked at after having come out of the exile, right? so this was written at a time Um, after the Babylonian conquest when the people would have been uh, destroyed largely and only a remnant remained and they were destroyed because of their lack of faith it was their unbelief in God and what he had promised that led them on a path that ended up in destruction of Jerusalem in destruction of the temple and that was a grand temple it was Solomon's temple we got to see the remnants of the second temple that was built by Herod. But this was uh, a grand time that came to uh, a moment of judgment, and then there's the people returning as part of a pilgrimage in the restoration of the temple, which was central to the people. We've talked about that in our teaching in the past. And their connection to God. And so they're looking up at the mountains, which would have been symbolically um, the places for the Canaanites, the people that preceded them in the land, would have been a place of worship, the high places. And so they look around and say, are any of these high places going to help us? Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. So identifying... uh, god among gods right capital g against among lower g gods and that there were a lot of gods in the world there are a lot of gods in the world today you know we think that um, monotheism dominates that's really not the case and so they're identifying this is the god who made heaven and earth he will not allow your foot to sleep he who keeps you will not slumber so this is talking about who God is and who we are in relationship to him. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That there's a vigilance in God's relationship with man to continue reaching out to bless man. So we just finished our study in Ephesians before we took off. Um, and do many, many remember the, how Ephesians starts out? Uh, we, God has blessed us with many spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. So, God's intent in relationship with us is to benefit us, to bless us. And we understand that that blessing um, is captured in a word uh, in Hebrew, it's called shalom, which is according to God's design or God's intent. It's His goodness that the way that he's made things and the way that he's expressed himself in creation, that is the blessing to us, right? And that there is a vigilance in that, that he's not going to give up on us, even when we give up on him. And so if you're a pilgrim and you're marching to Jerusalem for one of the feasts or part of the cultic practice that they still had remaining after their captivity, you would be encouraged by knowing that God didn't give up on you. Even though you had totally gone astray and missed the promise that he had given right the lord is your keeper the lord is your shade on your right hand so now that those of you that have been to israel you understand the shade on your right hand and what that means right so you're oriented towards the east actually i'm facing the right direction and the sun the angle of the sun is at your right hand right The Lord is your shade. He's the one that protects you from the harsh elements of creation. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. And as I was thinking about that, this being one of... You know, all the psalms are my favorite, but this is one of my favorite psalms, so... um, knowing that God does not give up on us and that he truly desires our blessing and our good, that we are created in his image, the communicable attributes of God that could be expressed in his creation, that's who we are. We have that image of God in us and he desires our good. We need to be reminded of that because as we look at the history of, of the Hebrew nation from the beginning in Genesis all the way through to today, what you see is a people group that really is kind of (coughs) representative of all people groups where we may acknowledge God with our tongue, but we don't um, live in this shalom or this rest of God. And we forget where we came from. Right, and what God has done for us, and so when I was looking at at uh, both one how we wanted to start today and what we wanted to study, the natural study for me would be to pick up where we left off in Samuel. So, do you remember our study in Samuel? This was a couple of years back. So, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be gonna be quizzing you on Samuel. What do we know about this people group that today are called the Jews? What do we know about them? We'll start before Samuel. Let's go all the way back to to their earliest, to say it out loud, Abraham. Let's go back to Abraham. And what happened with Abraham? Why is Abraham remembered? He believed God. He believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Right. So in a fallen world, a world that had been already uh, come through significant judgment in the flood and that what God promised um, after the flood was that he would withhold judgment until the uh, final time, that he would um, abide with men in a way to redeem them but there would be a final judgment. And so Abraham, walking as a man under judgment, just as we all <coughs> are under judgment, um, was one who believed the promise of God. What was the promise of God to Abraham? Anybody remember? People, place, in relationship. People, place, and relationship. And we understand that, that that's um, developed in uh, several areas within Genesis. We start out in Genesis 12, where Abram as he was called at that point before he became renamed Abraham was um, made a very significant promise so we read in chapter 12 of Genesis now the Lord said to Abram go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation so that's the people I'll make you a great nation Right. So Abraham had, uh, at this point, no children. He had servants. He had a wife who, was, who had not um, had any children. Uh, he had had any children with, and he was in a land of his fathers. Anybody know where that land is? Ur of So where is Ur of the Chaldeans, Daniel? Daniel. <laughs> Urban. And, uh, it would be uh, urban Yeah, it would be east of Israel Over to Iraq now, yeah. So right. I'm zooming out here I'm going to go ahead and dismiss my overlays I can always bring them back um, So we're looking at the Middle East Some of these things should look familiar to you You've got uh, Go ahead It's like the It's like the, um, it's like the uh, playing the of Saudi Arabia <coughs> yeah, so you've got wow. Egypt over here you've got the Nile Delta right here, you've got the Red Sea you've got the Sinai Peninsula and this area what they call the land in between you've got the Fertile Crescent which runs like this all the way down to today the Persian Gulf and there's a couple of river systems that feed into this, I didn't turn on the rivers but could turn them on the, which ones? Tigris, Tigris and Right, so that area of the Chaldeans would have been in here in that part of the Fertile Crescent is that right? yep that's pretty cool. pardon? that's pretty cool i got to go through that part of the world yep uh, it's on a little scenic tour mechanized infantry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, we actually, actually ported the Tigris River yeah right. cool it, and so we understand that that would have been kind of the breadbasket where people were hanging out uh, around the the rivers, around the water. Water is very important. And there was a history of of production that could support large people uh, base in that area. And it kind of extends down around through what is today um, southern Turkey and then down through Syria. And as you head into this area in between here, which is Israel... Um, you get to some fertile areas as you stick closer to the coast um, and then you end up down here in another fertile area, right? The Nile, Nile Valley. So um, good reason for people to settle there. And Abraham was in this area and told to go to a land that was not his own. So he was giving up his family, he was giving up his wealth, um, in many ways, because it's pretty hard to travel that distance and bring everything that you've got. And Even though he was wealthy at that point in time, it was family wealth, and he had to kind of leave that behind. And God says, go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. So he has no kids. doesn't even know where he's going. Pardon? Yeah. He doesn't even know where he's going, other than that he's basically going to follow this path to this area which was uh, filled with a bunch of uh, folks called, I call them the Ites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites. Um, yeah, you got a whole bunch of Ites. <laughs> yeah, Amorites. Yes. At the time that Abram left, there's probably not much information in Ur about that area. Correct. I mean, like, probably zero. Right. So it would have taken a lot of confidence. In this God, faith. who's saying go, um, to actually do that. And he made the Hall of Faith. He? He, yeah, he made the Hall of Faith. And actually becomes uh, a father of children of faith. Right? We are considered Abraham's descendants because we believe the promise of God too. That promise that is in Abraham's seed. You read uh, Galatians, he, uh, Paul expands on what does it mean uh, Abraham's seed, Abraham's descendant, and descendants, plural. And we understand that that gets unpacked too. There was one who would come through the promise child of Abraham who would be the one that would fulfill the promise, that would actually accomplish um, the what we're going to see here. Uh, a great nation that is blessed. I will bless you and i will make your name great and so you shall be a blessing and i will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you i will curse and in all the families of the and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed so that means our blessing comes from abraham this promise made to abraham right it was a promise to bless abraham personally a promise to bless abraham's descendants a promise to to bless us and that's exactly what we read mm-hmm. when we looked at that that uh, beginning of uh, Ephesians, when we were studying <coughs> it, right? Daniel? Now, when it says that um, through, well, the promise that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him, does that mean that um, since Jesus, what he did on the cross is sufficient for all time, finished and done, that even if someone doesn't accept or believe that, they're still underneath that blessing that it has been done for them with? Correct. So um, there was and, and that would be getting into trying to unpack some of the theology. Some would say that there was a limited atonement um, that um, the atoning sacrifice of Christ only applies to those that actually believe and that those that choose not to believe that Christ's Atonement didn't apply to them, but then there are other areas where you read in the Bible that no, that atonement is for all. Mm-hmm. However, not all choose that atonement, right. right? Not all embrace it, and so there was nothing incomplete. Right. And you read about that in Hebrews. Like he said, right. on his that day. Yes, in that in that one uh, point in history, which um, we understand as this this weekend is the, um, if we were to follow the current calendar, um, Passover just happened. And so we are in that time after Passover. So this would be the first day of the week following Passover. So um, that's what they just celebrated in Jerusalem. We understand that, that if we do the dating, which we've talked about in other classes, I believe that that was uh, the Passover of 33 A.D., which would have occurred on April 3rd. April 3rd, Friday, April 3rd, 33 A.D. And that, um, that means that the first day of the week would have been Sunday, April 5th, 33 A.D. And we, and we can put together a chronology and I could show you how that's arrived at, but I believe that's an accurate date. Um, based upon the gospel accounts. it's not dogmatic. Pardon? It's not dogmatic. It's not dogmatic. I just believe it's an accurate date. Mm -hmm. Just like when we were uh, walking through the old city and we came to the they call the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is where, um, according to tradition, that was Golgotha, where Christ was crucified, and that there are... Uh, burial caves there, and that he was placed in one of those burial caves, the cave of a rich man, um, and. I was kind of pictured as far, or what, far away from where he was crucified, whatever the tomb was. I never actually kind of even thought that it could be right near. It. Yeah, yeah, and we can we can unpack all that, uh, but. Confused is with the guard tomb. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so there are lots of different speculations and things like that, but I think that if you look at the. Geography and, and the topology of the hills there, and understand what happened in uh, um, from in the Byzantine era as far as how they preserved things. That that's probably likely the site. So it's a real event that happened in a real place that we can, you know, we can speculate speculate about it, but it definitely occurred, right? Um, as far as where we can't say definitively, but we can say. I believe it occurred on April 3rd, 33 AD, in that area outside the gate of the, of the wall of the city. One thing that I thought was cool going in there up to Golgotha is the steps were like this. Yes. really, really steep and yeah. really worn because a lot of people should yeah. come up there. And then there were several kind of services going on up there. And they had uh, this place where apparently the cross was right there you can get down to this altar and kind of put your hand through a hole and touch the right. stone. Um, but next to this area, they had under under glass the um, the rock exposed and it was split right down the middle. Yep. And I thought that was just really cool. And <laughs> uh, isn't that where the blood dripped and then it went down there and there are yeah. the covenants underneath all that or Well they thought the, yeah. the yeah. grave of Adam was buried there and that that's part of tradition that the blood of Christ on the cross actually covered um, the grave of Adam the, so Christ the second Adam conquered death pardon so when Adam's remains have been like totally washed away in the flood yeah so, so Hawken <laughs> yeah. tradition versus what what we understand could realistically happen i mean that, the, there would have been there would have been dust there right but it's a theological picture that's helping us understand who this descendant of abraham this blessing to the whole world what he did right and at the time of abraham abraham didn't know i mean he knew uh, the sin of Adam and that all died because Adam brought that sin into the human race Right. so we read the argument from Paul in Romans chapter 5 about um, how we know that this is true because we live it in our own bodies um, and so Abraham knew that but he didn't understand necessarily that oh this is through this promise he hadn't even gotten the promise of the child yet Right. that's going to come a couple chapters later but he knows that there's going to be a descendant and that he'll be the father of a great nation right? that he'll, he'll become a great nation so a lot of stuff in Abraham's mind is very general and yet Abraham believed God without a lot of detail left where he was at and traveled to this land and a lot of stuff happens in that land. What happens in that land? Abraham has a couple of kids. Actually, more than a couple. Um, because if you read the account of Abraham, he figured he needed to help God a little bit, right? So since Sarah couldn't have children, he would have a child with uh, Sarah's maid, her servant. I think it was his wife's idea. They, 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 think, they thought they needed to, yeah. to help God. The, the two are one flesh, right? And, uh, and, of course, that was, who was the result of that? Ishmael. Ishmael. Yes. And so Ishmael um, was not the son of promise, even though he was the firstborn. So he would have had uh, the inheritance as the firstborn child of Abraham, but that's not what God had planned. And so there was a subsequent son, the son of promise, by Sarah, And his name means laughter. Because she laughed when she heard it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Isaac. Isaac. And so, uh, it is through Isaac then, and his children, who were Isaac's children? Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Mm -hmm. Right? And through Jacob's children, Jacob had Reuben. (laughs) 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 Cetera, so yeah. Cetera, right? <laughs> 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 who was number four in the list of twelve? Judah. 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 Yeah. Again, not the first, <clears throat> but nonetheless, um, he would be the one that would then be this line um, that would would uh, that this descendant the descendant would come from. Is that because the uh, the older three br- brothers were the ones who did that? Um, Circumcision thing to those. Two of them did. Reuben slept with, uh, yeah, his dad's concubine, so he wasn't supposed to be doing that. Um, <laughs> you know. that should be having Pardon? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, all the yeah, Jacob had Jacob had issues with women. <laughs> say that. Yeah, you apart. But Reuben got disqualified. <laughs> Reuben got disqualified even though he did some good things. Like he preserved the 11th child. Yeah. Right? So the 11th child, Joseph, is thrown into a pit by his brothers, and then Reuben intervenes and says, let's not kill him. There's no money in that. Let's sell him. Right? Um, so he helps part of preserving the life of Joseph. who he ends was up also planning to go back and get him out of the pit. Well, he was, yeah, so that he could redeem himself. But, um... We understand that that was also according to God's plan. So you read that in uh, Genesis, the very end of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph said, you know, you guys intended this for evil, but God intended it for your blessing. Mm -hmm. So just like Ishmael said, that's all part of God's plan then too, right? That's still working itself out now. Yep. So uh, it's interesting how God (laughs) uses our weakness and our failures to demonstrate his strength. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So it can be an encouragement. So we can look to the hills from where does our help come from? It doesn't come from trying to help God, it comes from trusting God. Right? So, again, I go back to that psalm, which is about faithfulness. It's about faith in God and his faithfulness uh, towards us, and that we can trust him. And so Abraham trusted God. Um, we understand that. Subsequent to that, we have Jacob, and uh, some of us got to also travel to the land of, of Esau, down over here, have to go to Petra, in, uh, right down here, Jordan. And subsequent to uh, Jacob, what happened? They went into captivity in Egypt, Joseph delivers them, they come out of captivity. Um, how do they come out of captivity? Moses Moses, another guy that uh, is an interesting, interesting background right he kills an Egyptian so he's a murderer um, and so he's on the run he goes on the run and says well I'll, I'll go back to my historical roots which is being a wanderer in the desert um, and I'll become a Bedouin and so Moses becomes a Bedouin and learns uh, how you manage sheep and goats in the desert. right? And there he has an encounter with God and he goes in and <clears throat> he delivers the people. He doesn't deliver them. God delivers them <clears throat> through a mighty work. Takes them out of Egypt and the land of Goshen um, across the Red Sea uh, over into a place Mount Sinai and there's this miraculous delivery. God um, delivers them from the oppression of Egypt, and they come to the mountain of God where God makes a covenant with them, right? And we understand that, um, so that's where we have the the story of the Ten Commandments, and sometimes people go back to calling that the Mosaic Covenant where God uh, further unpacks his blessing of the people. And he explains that there is a blessing, but there's also a cursing, because when you're in relationship with God, you have to uh, by it's a uh, it creates a, an obligation, right? When you know who God is, in order to remain in communion with Him, you have to be holy as He is holy. So there's a, an obligation that's created, and so we understand that um, this covenant of Moses had both blessings and cursings. Blessings for obedience, cursings for disobedience. And we would wrap that up in our Bible story um, as the first five books of the Bible, which is called Pentateuch, Pentateuch, which means five books, Um, but sometimes called the law, right? Or the writings of Moses. Or the writings of Moses. So it's attributed to Moses or his amanuensis. So who was his secretary? Joshua. Joshua and when Moses ends up not being able to come into the promised land he stands there on Mount Nebo and God shows him um, the whole of the land that had been promised he probably said take it back we don't want it <laughs> you know, he didn't do that because he trusted God too and when you look at that land it's not, it's not kind of what we would think of as great great land you know um, it's not, uh, it's got a wilderness in it that is as wild as you can imagine, right? It's got um, areas in it that are beautiful and lush with lots of water and areas that are so arid you'd die, you know, in a very short period of time if you didn't know how to, how to get water out of the land. And so this is an area that had been settled by a group of people, we call them the Canaanites, so if you look at areas of history, Canaanites, the... Hebrew peoples were instructed to go into that country and take the settlements of the Canaanites, but not become Canaanite. They were supposed to remain faithful and obedient to God, Yahweh. And that brings us to Joshua. So Joshua was the great leader that brought the people into the land. right? So, and he had his mistakes too. We think of Joshua as a great faithful man, and he was a great faithful man. Um, But he made his blunders, and we can think of some of the treaties that he made um, that later come back um, and present interesting situations. We we know that there were times when he was not successful in his conquest of the land because God was not with him. And yet the times where he was obedient and, and was doing that which God asked him to do, he was highly successful. And he managed in a very short period of time to take this small, relatively small group of people into a land um, that they could occupy. And it was already built up for them. Right? But we know that some of them didn't remain obedient, like the tribe of Dan did not go down into this coastal plain here. I'll start blowing it up now. And I know I'm telling you guys stuff you already know, but Nonetheless, I'm going to say it. <laughs> so he comes in here um, through off of this uh, plateau in the Jordan. They, they come down into the Jordan River Valley. They come up, uh, and the first place that they take is. Does anybody remember? Jericho. Pardon? Jericho. Yeah. Well, yeah, they take Jericho. Yeah. After Jericho, yeah. And where is what's that near? Jordan. It's near the top. It's near. It's near a city called Bethel, which is a very, very significant in the history of the people. Bethel means house of God, and when Abraham came into the land and he was wandering the land, as he had gone into Egypt in disobedience and came out of Egypt in obedience and um, had settled uh, with Lot his nephew, and finally they they're servants were having conflicts and um, they had become both wealthy and they couldn't the land couldn't support them so he went to a place called Bethel it wasn't called Bethel at that point in time and it was there that he told Lot he said you just look wherever you want to go right left north south east west Um, you pick it and it's yours and whatever you don't pick I'll live there so you got the first choice And so Lot looked down and he saw this lush Jordan Valley and that's where he went. And God told him at that point then, after Lot had departed, he said, now look around. right? Look north, look south, look east, look west. All that your eye sees, this is what you've been promised. That included this Jordan River Valley, by the way. So Lot had his own story and we understand that that promise was still going to be fulfilled and that his um, grandson Jacob would come to that same place, and then at that place he would. He's on the run. He's he's stolen the birthright from his uh, his older brother. He's <coughs> stolen the blessing from his older brother, and his older brother wants to kill him. And he comes on the run as he's headed to his uncle Laban's um, to, to hide out. He comes to this place called Bethel. And there he lays his head on a rock for a pillow. It's like, I don't understand that. But, you know, laid his head on a rock, and uh, he had a vision. What was his vision? The Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, we call it Jacob's Ladder. He had a vision of the gates of heaven being opened, and the angels from heaven coming to earth, sending and descending on that, that stairway or that ladder. Right, that there was a communication between the uh, throne room of God and the, his creation at that point and uh, so he got up and he built an altar and he memorialized that place and then he went on his journey well later after all that history that I just recounted that's where Jacob would come into the land Joshua Joshua I mean. <laughs> Jacob ended up coming back to it as well, but uh, Joshua comes into the land. He's right there near Bethel. And that is a very strategic point because even Jesus references that place in that story. So if you go to John uh, chapter 1, when Jesus is actually uh, meeting his and introducing himself, I should say, to his um, what would become apostles. we read that he first came to John um, and Andrew, and they went and got their brothers, James and Peter, and brought them to Jesus. And then they were telling the story to one of their fishing buddies, Philip, who was from Beseda, the same city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip uh, then finds Nathaniel. And I'm reading in John chapter 1, verses 44, 45, 46. And Nathaniel, uh, so Philip tells Nathaniel, he says, Hey, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he's recounting all this history that I'm kind of stepping us through this morning. And he says, We found this guy. And Nathaniel said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, "Come and see." So Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him, and said of him, "Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit." So basically, saying, "Here's a, uh, a Jacobian, a descendant of Jacob, in whom there is no Jacob," because the word Jacob means deceiver, heel grabber. And so he's making a comment on Nathaniel's character. Nathanael said to him, "How do you know me? How do you know my character? What do you know?" And uh, Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So Jesus is disclosing um, his uh, omniscience in that sense. Where even though um, there are things that um, he only discloses as a result of revelation from the Father, he, this is one of the things that's been revealed to him. So he knows the character of Nathaniel. And he actually saw Nathaniel in a place where nobody else could see him. It's a private moment for Nathaniel. Nathaniel answered him, "Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel." And Jesus answered and said to him, "Because I have said that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these." And then he said to him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man." So what Jesus was declaring was that he was that ladder, that. Jacob had a vision of and it's interesting the language that you read in Genesis um, the gates of heaven are opened but subsequently they're closed in other words this is a vision it's a future time it hasn't come yet when Jesus says it he uses a, a tense of the verb that has the implication of an action with continuing result so the gates of heaven are opened and remain open so Jesus was announcing the kingdom of God That's what he was doing. To behold the kingdom of God is in your presence. And that 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 bridge between heaven and earth is now here. And we understand that's what Jesus did, right? So I'm giving you, I'm stepping ahead many hundreds of years here. Um, But we'll go back. Joshua comes into the land, goes to Bethel, and then from there he goes north, south, and east and takes the land. And he captures the land. And Joshua is actually the beginning of what they call the former prophets. So if you look at the organization of the Old Testament, the Bible, as as it would have been to the Hebrews, they broke up their scripture into three parts. The law, those first five books, the prophets, and the writings. And in the prophets, they had what they called the former prophets and the latter prophets. And the former prophets start with Joshua. We think of it as kind of a historical narrative, but actually it's a prophetic narrative. And it's even been speculated that uh, Joshua judges Samuel, which we understand is first and second Samuel, because that's the way that they broke it when they converted um uh, translated into Greek, and Kings, which is the same thing. There's not a first and a second writing, it's one writing. That is the former prophets. And it's been speculated that there was no division of that. They didn't call it Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. They called it the former prophets. And it was one long prophetic narrative. And it has a unified theme among those books. And unfortunately, to go through that unified theme um, critically takes a lot of work and a lot of time. So we end up breaking it up into smaller studies. So we did a study in Samuel. And what I'd like to do now is a study in Kings. And the reason I'd like to do a study in Kings is because I believe that the problem that the Kings had is the same problem that we have today. So that's why we're going to study Kings. But we get through Joshua. He takes the land. He makes one of the first uh, prophetic speeches in this former former prophet uh, narrative. And uh, his speech is about the conquest of the land. And he's speaking about the faithfulness of God. And you find that in Joshua 23. So Joshua giving the first uh, prophetic sermon to the people is speaking about God's faithfulness and challenges them to be faithful in the covenant with God that implied obligation of obedience in relationship. Be holy as he is holy. And believe the promise um, because he is a promise keeper. Right? And so Joshua makes this great speech we find in Joshua 23. Then we get into the book of Judges. What's, what's the book of Judges? Not good. <laughs> Not good. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Right. So you're moving through moving through Joshua, moving into Judges, and Judges, you would hope, would be a continuation of that blessing of the people because they're obedient. But that's not what you find. What you find is, is that um, it is a, uh, a, a theocracy in the sense that God is their king, right, rather than the way that the people in the land, the Canaanites, had kings, the um, God was their king. And they were to be um, subservient to God as their king. They were to be citizens of his kingdom. They were to be receivers of his promise and living that out in the land. They were not to become like the people in the land. They were not to become Canaanite. Does that kind of go back to them... Uh, not following through with their orders. You know, if if yeah. Joshua had brought them in and done mm-hmm. exactly what God asked them to do, they would have had that interbreeding and intermixing of the orders. Correct. Correct. So they, they made some, some blunders in obedience, which we read about in Joshua. And so they're always having those Philistines there with them. Yes. they always fact. having to play with the Philistines. The Philistines were down in this coastal plain area down here, and uh, the tribe of Dan was given that area. And the tribe of Dan was supposed to go in and clear out the Philistines and take that that area. It was too hard. It was too hard. <laughs> right? And this central hill country, there was giants in the land, right? And Caleb said, I'll clear out those giants. You know, Give it to me. And so we have the Calebites in there, but nonetheless, there was still mixing of Canaanites in there. And you find that throughout the land, they were um, smaller than the peoples around them. Not smaller in stature, but smaller in number. And smaller in resources. They were supposed to come in and uh, essentially inherit that resource that God had provided by getting the Canaanites out of the land. And they no, weren't no, supposed no, to leave the Canaanites. The Canaanites. Oh, Pardon? Don't shoot your purpose. Their job is to kill, not to push them out. Right. Why do you suppose it was their job to kill the Canaanites? Is it because God is to, not uh, pluralistic or what? I mean, he, he, he has, has no tolerance. I mean, that, those are both terrible things today. Yeah. I mean, to have this dance. Yeah. You're not tolerant of, you know, who your neighbor is and what his nationality is. Well, then you're a bigot. And you've well, got it's all, all the same problems. God. Pardon? It's all the same God. So According to you pushing these people out, you racist. <laughs> you racist, yes. Their gods are as good as your God. Right. right? It's the same God. So. Right. And that's what the problem was, is that their God was not the same. God. They had lots of gods. And God said, what was the very first thing that he described when he's describing his holiness? That he is God, and there is no other before him. And by the way, you should better not have any idols. Well, that's the essence of not being PC right there. Yes. And pretty soon, we're going to have to go underground, because yes. that's not possible. Because we are distinguishing ourselves from the Canaanite culture around us to give an example. Um, And that's exactly what the problem was, is that as we read through the judges, the people were slowly, decision by decision, throughout the day, becoming more and more Canaanite. They were embracing the culture of the world around them and the gods that go with that culture to the point where they became indistinguishable and they would intermarry and they would have families that were no longer uh, having this, this tradition, this heritage, right? Now, is that a bad thing? We're all Gentiles, so you know, people ask me, where did you come from, Dave? Well, I'm a melting pot. You know, I come from all over. Let me tell you, you, know, you look at my family line and tree, it's really messed up. And I've got all sorts of stuff in my genetic markers. You know? And that seems pretty normal. right? Why is it wrong that these Canaanite people had to be wiped out? Well, it's not wrong. If there was a way, God finds right and wrong. God that's right. Do it, then you do it. Right. That's the that's the short answer. God said, "Do it, do it." Um, and what is is happening is that God knew that um, there was no way to maintain that. Pure communion with him if you mix in all these other things. These people didn't have the strength for that. They needed to be obedient even when it didn't make sense. And they chose not to. They said, no, you know, I think I know better than God. And that's the story of the judges. Right? I think I know better than God. And so God brought different uh, tests to help Encourage them back along the way. And the end of the Judges ends. In Judges 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So you have this prophetic speech of Joshua, Joshua 23, talking about the faithfulness of God, the promise of God, and the Uh, covenant that they had entered into with God, that the people had had joined with God as he was their God um, and they are his people. And now you read that there was no king. Who's supposed to be the king? God, God. God. There was a king in Israel, but the people had no king. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. Right? The Garden of Eden is about where um, humanity was presented a choice that they could define what is good and what is desirable to make one wise, or they could trust God to declare what is good and to express what wisdom really is. And, and we, we know what happened, right? That's exactly what happened to these people after this very short period of time, being brought out through miraculous means, um, brought into the land, uh, miraculous conquest. They're the underdogs, and they're winning. And there was no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Then you get into Samuel. What's Samuel about? Getting a king. Getting a king, right. So when you look at the prophetic speeches... You have the conquest of the land speech and the faithfulness of God and the, the reminder of the covenant that the people had made at Sinai to the uh, speech about the human king. Pardon? One minute. Yes, I know. <laughs> See, I was hoping to get in have a clock up here. Get the phone. Yeah. Um, and that's what um, Samuel is about. It's about a king. And if you read the the speech of Samuel in Samuel 12, or Samuel 12, um, that God makes it clear that the people, by asking for a king, are um, not rejecting Samuel. They're rejecting God. And that there was supposed to be a king, an administrator of God's kingdom among the people. And you read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And we'll go to that next time because that's actually the the thematic element that we need to remind ourselves of as we move through the kings. That the kings is not about um, the events of these people's lives, right? In other words, they weren't judged a good king or a bad king based on what they did. They were judged a good king or a bad king, according to the covenant relationship and what the king was supposed to do according to Deuteronomy chapter 17. So that's why you can have a king that makes some incredible blunders like David, and yet he can still be considered um, a man after God's own heart. Right? And we'll unpack that more next week. But I'll leave you with with this question. So the next, you know, I, I think there are three prophetic speeches that organized the whole of the former prophets. um, Joshua 23, 1 Samuel 12, and we're going to look at 1 Kings 8. um, And that's Solomon's uh, prayer at the dedication of the temple and what what that's about. But the question I want to leave you with this week, and as you're thinking about uh, kings, and what I encourage people to do is minimally read through a passage three times. And then we'll start unpacking it. So your assignment for this next week is to read through First and Second Kings three times. (laughs) (laughs) If you do, you'll be blessed. (laughs) Uh, But nonetheless says the the, prophet. (laughs) The question I wanna wanna leave you with is this Is the king's heart a reflection of the people's heart, or is the people's heart a reflection of the king's? Is the king's heart a reflection of the people's heart, or is the people's heart a reflection of the king's? In other words, does the king influence people, or do people select the king? you tell the difference between kings and chronicles? So, chronicles is part of, I gave you the, the three major categories you have the, the law the prophets, and the writings. The Chronicles actually fits into the writings. And so you have Esther, Ezra, Ez, Ezra, Amaya, pardon? There's a lot of overlap. The there is. And, and so what we'll actually do is we'll use supplementary material in Chronicles to help add some detail, because we want to think of things as a nice sequential history. We like to put together chronologies. Prophetic narrative is not necessarily a chronology. It's thematic. And I don't know if you remember me stressing that as we were working through Samuel, but there's, it's thematically organized as opposed to chronological sequencely organized. However, Chronicles will help us put together chronology so that we can kind of figure out dates and times and overlaps of all these kings. And what we'll try to do is I'll, I'll give you a, a chart that lists all of the kings and the time of their reign, and then you'll fill in as we go through um, good king, bad king, and why? Okay. So that's that's that'll be your scorecard as we move through the kings. Um, but wanted to first get kind of set the the context for kings. And ultimately, everything is an issue of the heart, and what's going on in the world today is an issue of the heart. It's not an issue of boundaries. It's not an issue of uh, economies. Um, or armies it's an issue of the heart that's what's going on in the world and what you see in kings is that concern about the issues of the heart and how that played out from a people who were given a promise showed that promise in a miraculous way and actually in their, even in their disobedience God was still faithful in delivering the savior of the world And yet, what's the state of their heart? What's the state of our heart? So let's go ahead and and close here in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come to your word and um, to reflect on um, the the times and and, uh, histories and prophecies that you've put before us. Uh, We know that it's incredibly relevant to what we're experiencing today. And it seems like we're in an urgent place in the world where we desperately need you um, both in our own lives and in the workings of the world. I mean, it's just really messed up. And so, um, Lord, I, I know it's been messed up before and we'll see that as we uh, go through just the, the uh, narratives of this people group. But Lord, we know that you've preserved this for us to tell us about who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, Lord, we desire to be obedient and to embrace you as our king. So Lord, um, give us the insight as we move through this. Give us the, the time to do the study that will make a difference as we um, move through this and the motivation. Lord, we just thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. The many blessings that you've um, already put in our lives and the greatest blessing yet to come and that being in eternal fellowship with your son. And Lord, uh, we thank you for your provision uh, your protection of us and your incredible service on the cross that has bought our redemption Mm -hmm. lord we thank you for that and all this we pray in your name lord jesus Amen. Amen. amen